listening to First Church Charlotte. here. It is an honor to spend a few moments with you. Usually on Wednesday nights, we have an interactive Bible study, and we have a Bible theme or scripture, and then we will, having presented it, we will take questions. Um, I am traveling, and so this is pre-recorded, and hopefully it is in some way uh, enough to Pique your interest so you will continue to go further into the Word of the Lord and join us on any Wednesday night where we have an interactive Bible study. Uh, I think the Bible will make your life rich. I think the Word of God will bless you and make you stronger. And so I am uh, referring you this evening to a scripture that uh, I think is, is a great summation of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ in the earth and how it is founded, uh, not simply in its own existence, but in the gospel, which is all the way back to the life of Jesus Christ. And before that, connected to the progressive revelation of God to humanity, which reached its pinnacle or apex in Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul writing to the church at Ephesus will say this, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There is this great connectivity in the body of Christ. All of us are different. All of us represent different backgrounds, um, different preferences, personalities, talent sets. But in Jesus Christ, we are unified. This is one of the reasons why that great passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul explains that Jesus removed the middle wall of partition that middle wall of partition in the temple did not separate people from the presence of God. That was the, the veil that was rent when Christ died at Calvary. That was what separated people from the presence of God. Now, through Jesus Christ, we have access to the presence of God. What was the middle wall of partition and what did it represent? This is a dividing wall that is between people. And so in the layout of the temple, you would have the court where Jewish men could go. You would have the court where Jewish women could go. And then you would have the court of Gentiles where uh, that's the only place that a Gentile could go. Now, God's plan was always to include the Gentiles. From the very beginning, it was to include the Gentiles. What was the promise, the covenant promise made to Abraham? After he said, you know, I'll bless them that bless you, I'll curse them that curse you, everywhere you put your feet, I will give it to you as an inheritance. And then he sums up with this, um, through you shall all the nations, families, peoples of the world be blessed through you. God's plan was always to include the Gentiles. But in the development of the Jewish faith and in the cultural religion, all religions develop culture, style. Um, and it's not really based 
on their doctrine, at least not primarily. Um, reading someone's doctrine is like reading a recipe. But going to the church and filling the manner of the culture that exists there, well, that's like actually tasting the cooking. You're not just reading a recipe, you're tasting the cooking. Um, the Jewish faith developed with an aversion to the Gentile, not as we are blessed to push forward that blessing to other peoples, they saw the Gentiles as their distinctive and intentional enemy. In fact, one of the most divisive arguments happening when Jesus Christ came uh, and walked uh, the roads of Palestine, one of the most divisive questions among the Jewish faith at that, faith at that time was whether or not you could have any interaction with Gentiles and be holy. Now, <laughs> You can imagine how this would cause problems. Uh, there were two different schools, the school of Hillel, the school of uh, uh, Shemini. Um, these are different approaches. Uh, one side says no, one side says, uh, okay, maybe they don't share our faith, but they're not in themselves the enemy. Uh, this was the tension of the time. And uh, when Jesus came and he ate with sinners and yes, Gentiles, <laughs> he ministered in parts of the country that were very heavily um, Gentile. Um, even though he had as his primary directive, the people of the covenant, he had no problem with the continuation of that covenant. And in fact, in the promise to Abraham, it had been given as a purpose. They had missed that. And so this middle wall of partition had turned into more than just an ordering of the people. It had turned into a separation of the people. The Jews had no Gentiles visiting. So they had this court of the Gentiles they had no need for. Um, that's why they turned it into a market. No Gentiles felt welcome there. No Jews felt like their purpose in serving God was fulfilled in ministering to Gentiles. So it's just this empty space. So what do we do? Well, we'll put the, the animals for sacrifice there. So that's how Jesus drives the money changers and the animal herders out of the temple. He drives them out of the court of the Gentiles. And what does he say? He says, um, this place was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Christ removed the separation between peoples, and there's no longer this middle wall of partition, and we all stand on level ground at Calvary. None of us better than anyone else, none of us more deserving than anyone else. Uh, in Christ, there, as Paul would say, there's neither male nor female, bond nor free. <laughs> Forget your categories. In Christ, there is a great equality of human need and a great generosity of divine supply. And so when the apostle writes this, one body, one spirit, even as you're called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, is above all, through all, in you all, we have come together in one body. Um, we should not seek to separate ourselves uh, as much as we can. We should try to follow peace with everyone. We should try to get along with, by preferring one another. Uh, so this is not just the desire of Paul uh, writing here in Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, Jesus will say this as recorded by the apostle John chapter 17, verse number 21, that they all may be one 
as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Division in the church hurts the testimony of the church. Let me say it again. Division in the church hurts the testimony of the church. It's difficult to say how you're in God if you can't even get along with other other believers, you see. Um, the division and the fracturing of um, denomination, creed, custom, doctrine. Um, on one hand, there is a certain understanding to it because we're all flesh and we all know how difficult it can be to get along. But there's also a great vanity in it and we have to live in the tension that basically falls out like this. As much as we can, we're going to try to get along and we're going to try to focus upon what unites us, not what uh, divides us. This is Jesus's final prayer request that we, we read, that they might be one. And this is the only prayer that the church and the believer can answer. This is a prayer request that's actually in your power. So stop criticizing folks. Stop complaining about people. Be thankful that you have an opportunity to forgive others because God has forgiven so much uh, in you. Remember, the church is great power uh, as of testimony and one of the greatest sources of our influence in our society is our unity. So we need to think in terms of one body, one body, one body. Uh, other churches will do it differently than us. That does not make them our enemy and we do not seek to curse them. <laughs> uh, other churches may have different styles. Some churches may sing uh, one style, we may sing a different style. Uh, that does not mean that we're right and they're wrong. Some churches may have a victory march every service. We might very rarely have a victory march. Um, that doesn't mean we're right and they're wrong. Do you see? Uh, they will reach people that we will not reach. Um, even in areas where there is difference, that's, the, that's, that's not an accident. Um, just look at the world God created. There is a tremendous diversity um, and it is beautiful in the sight in the sight of God further one body there's also one spirit first Corinthians 12 and 13 for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles whether we be bond or free and have all and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Yes, different tastes. Yes, different backgrounds, different cultures, but one spirit, one spirit. We are unified in Christ. Further, we are unified in one hope, one hope. Titus 2, verse number 13, looking for that blessed hope, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How about Hebrews 6, verse number 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. No matter how difficult your life, you have hope in Jesus Christ. No matter how much of a setback you have survived this year, you have hope in Jesus Christ. Whether you feel blessed or cursed, I want you to know in Jesus Christ, you are blessed and you have hope. And then Paul says, one Lord. So we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. The Jesus we worship is the same Jesus that other believers worship. 
the same Jesus we worship is worshipped on every continent in thousands of languages. Uh, the God we serve and worship is celebrated in all the corners of all the corners of the, the, the earth. Uh, let me read Colossians chapter number one, verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things created co, co um, um, excuse me <laughs> all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the father that in him should all the fullness dwell we as a church celebrate this oneness this oneness of the church, this oneness of spirit, this oneness of hope, this oneness of uh, the Lord, and that is why some people call us oneness. <laughs> uh, I want you to know uh, it is... Uh, very much uh, celebration of Ephesians chapter number four when we talk about one Lord, one faith, one, one baptism. Uh, that is one of the reasons why in the New Testament uh, that the faith we have is centered in Jesus Christ who has a name that's higher than every other name. Uh, in Jesus Christ, we have a new identity and in Jesus Christ, we have a perfect life lived. Um, we can fall into errors where we ask ourselves, am I living good enough to be saved? That's the sign you don't understand the gospel. You may understand church. You may have your own form of traditions, <laughs> but you've misunderstood the gospel. There is no good enough for us. Uh, what there is is this question, was the life Jesus lived good enough for me to be saved? Because we have done a righteousness swap. That allows me to change my motivation from one of fear, servant or slave, to one of love, son or daughter. That enables me to change my motivation from I've got to save me to I'm a worshiper. I went from a servant of the law, living under the curse, the death of the law, to being a worshiper of the one true God. And that's the transition that has to happen because once you are motivated by love, you will find there's actually more strength in loving God than there is in the fear whereby you cringe and hide from God. What does fear do? It causes us to hide from God. What turns that around and turns our heart toward God? The goodness of God leads to repentance. And so we have uh, one faith and we have, as the Lord would help us and as we would pursue as serious, diligent servants of the Lord, we would pursue the same faith that you see connected all the way to the early church where the apostles, having been changed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, were able to preach that gospel without fear, without trembling. They were able to preach that gospel knowing that Jesus gave them the strength 
and placed the words on their tongue and gave the confidence to their spirit to stand as living witnesses known and read, uh, read of men. And the result of that is if we can get our faith connected to the same faith that was shown in uh, the Gospels and shown in the book of Acts and shown in the epistles of the apostles, um, if we can do that, then we can have a confidence that we are connected to this one faith. There's not a new faith. There's not a secondary faith. The stories are in the book of Acts for a reason. Um, some people are, you know, they, 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 this, this troubles them because um, they think that maybe one of the writers uh, made some mistake somewhere. There was no mistakes made. Um, it's all good and it's all true. And we must connect our faith to that living book, the holy word of God. There's one faith and there's one baptism. Baptism is a sign that is viewed by your world that you are trying to start over in a new version of you. How do you do that? By the grace of God. Baptism did not start in the New Testament church. Baptism started among the Jews. Um, and one of the unique things about baptism is if a person became a convert to the Jewish faith, they would be baptized as a way of saying my prior life was you know whatever it was for good or worse uh, good or bad but this new life is a new beginning in the lord that's why it was somewhat controversial when john the baptist came preaching and told all the jews not just the converts but all the jews they needed to be baptized calling upon the name of the lord and that's what he did they as baptism make this statement i'm, I'm not owed anything it's as though i'm a gentile I need a new beginning. I need new hope. That was the, maybe you say the scandal. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, but I think it's helpful for understanding. Um, the scandal of baptism and the reason why John the Baptist did it in the wilderness and they ran him out of the cities is because Jews believed as children of the covenant, they, they weren't as somebody who really needed a new start. They were children of Abraham. They, you know, we were sons of Moses. And uh, this created this kind of crisis or scandal. And when Jesus came, notice this, Jesus was baptized and he did it as an example for us. If there was ever a pure person, it was Jesus. If there was ever a pure Jew, it was Jesus. If there was ever anyone who didn't need to get baptized, it was Jesus. But Jesus did it to fulfill all things, to show us to demonstrate for us. We don't get to sit on some religious high horse as though God owes us anything. We start new in God. We have a new beginning. We have a new start. There is a renewal that happens in our life. And so baptism becomes the sign that you are starting a new life. That's why every one of us need to be baptized. And we need to be baptized in the same manner the New Testament church was baptized. Um, and we will talk about that more in just a moment. But every baptism in the scripture, um, you will see is done in one particular way, one particular way. Um, and that is they are all baptized in the name of Jesus, which is why uh, at our church we celebrate baptism in the name of Jesus. Um, now, I admit and I agree that in the Bible as we have it, 
um, there is a passage, Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus uh, is speaking to the disciples and he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, now, there is a whole work of scholarship that has come to the conclusion, I'm, I'm not spending much time on this, I just want you to be aware, that that, was the, that that last scripture was added, not by the apostles, but it was added somewhere in uh, the mid-dark mid, mid ages. And the earliest texts that we have of the gospel um, do not have that in it. It stops the verse before. It was probably added at some point. Um, and yet most of the Christian world uh, baptizes in the, the titles of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My job is, is not to go around telling people your baptism meant nothing. That, that's not my job. Um, that I think is even, uh, I, I think that's probably closer to vanity and contentiousness than anything else. However, my job is to encourage all of you to be baptized like they did in the New Testament church. And that was to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter number two, how are they baptized? In the name of Jesus. Acts chapter number eight, how are they baptized? These are Samaritans in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter number 10, the house of Cornelius, how were they baptized? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 19, this is the disciples of John. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul's baptism in Acts chapter number 22. And now why tarriest thou, verse 16, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Galatians 3.27, this is the teaching of the epistles. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Romans 6, 13, know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Uh, Colossians 1 and 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath risen him from the dead. Further, I think you're getting a theme here, uh, the teaching of the apostles, Philippians 2, verse number 9, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, who? Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How about Acts 4 and 12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is a beauty in the name of Jesus, which literally means Jehovah, the great God. You see, God has many titles. Um, in the Old Testament, there's over a hundred titles uh, given of the Lord, and they all refer to an attribute. They all refer to uh, some element of his nature, and it's a powerful, wonderful uh, insight into the heart, the nature of God to study the titles, the titles of God. Um, in the New Testament, however, it's not a hundred plus titles. In the New Testament, the authors from Matthew all the way to Revelations, they're using three predominant terms of understanding an infinite God, three predominant terms. Terms, And these can serve in the same manner that in the Old Testament, there were over a hundred titles of the Lord. And what do we mean by that? Well, in the New Testament, you will see these three 
understandings, these references, these roles, these titles, these, how I, I, dare I say, organizations of God, <laughs> um, to understand the way in which he is working. Remember, he's infinite. So if you think you can understand him simply, um, you're, not, you're not thinking very seriously. And the easiest way, well, the way the New Testament authors chose to express this is the Father, and we think Father and creation. It helps us understand an infinite God who is not polytheistic. He is one. Um, and also you will find son. Now this refers to the man that was born, the man who got hungry, he got tired, he bled, he was flesh. We're not into Gnosticism, which is inst interestingly, I want to teach on this sometime, the reason why the church in the 4th century AD actually switched to baptism in the titles is because they were fighting the doctrine of Gnosticism. And that was the biggest problem in the church for a very long time. People did not believe Jesus really lived and died. He was an emanation of God, a theophany of God, a type of walking ghost. He didn't really bleed. He didn't really die. Well, if he did not do that, if it was all a type of smoke and mirrors, then it destroys the doctrine of the New Testament. And so the church, knowing this, they came against Gnosticism, and the way to do this is, by their way of thinking, what they didn't realize is the Bible had already settled this and had already done this. This is always what happens when we come along and try to add to the Bible. Uh, like the Pharisees, we our, place ourselves in the role of Moses. Moses didn't know how to say it right. He needs us to say it for him. And what the world really needs not is, you know, <laughs> the Bible. It needs us to kind of put a layer on top of the Bible so you can do what we say. This is always an error. error and this is the same error that the, the church did where they, they tried to have a type of, of a, tri, a trinity and a oneness. They, they meant well. They weren't trying to destroy anything, but the result of it all, fighting Gnosticism, is they ended up with uh, a changed formula, a changed formula for baptism, uh, which is not the early church formula. And so I, I am respectful of any heart, any person who gets baptized. And if even, even baptized in the titles, I have deep respect for the heart that wants to know God who wants to be closer to God. Um, it can be a testimony uh, reflecting what you know and where you are. Uh, that, that's not anything any of us should speak against. But we should all be clear that the New Testament church formula was everywhere and always baptized in the name of Jesus. So with saying that, let me just say this. If you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus, um, I would love to baptize you in the name of Jesus. There's nothing but good things can happen by taking on the name, the name of the name of Jesus. And so that is one of the reasons why our church emphasizes baptism uh, in the name of in the name of Jesus. That's how the New Testament church did it. Um, some churches do both where they, they use titles and the name. That's actually becoming more and more common. I have no problem with that. Um, if titles reassure you, sure, they are accurate titles of God. Uh, but that is not creating three thrones in heaven, do you see? And so let's do it like the New Testament church did it, and let's baptize in the wonderful, the wonderful name, name of Jesus. On the other hand, let's not be quick to fight with people who come from a different tradition. Uh, let's simply be a witness like the, uh, the uh, man whose eye, eyesight was given back to him. He's like, look, y'all can fight if you want to, but this is what I know. I once was blind, but 
now I see. And so uh, I, I love to see people uh, take on that name because it is more, um, in fact, we should think of it as more than just a type of formula whereby now God owes me something. That's not what it is. Um, it is a statement to your world, a public confession to your world. You are turning your heart toward God. You are turning, you're repenting. You were going that way, now you're going this way. And this sign of his cleansing of the old you, that's the water, spiritual adoption, you take on his name. You are no longer an orphan. You've now been brought into the body of the Lord. You have taken on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why I celebrate with all of you uh, who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. And I encourage all of you uh, to celebrate and call upon the name of the Lord when you're baptized. It's, it's, it's a theme all through the Bible, even, even into Jewish history as they're baptized there. They call upon uh, the name, the name of the Lord. And so this is something that we can talk about more. If any of you have specific questions, when we have an interactive Bible study, um, we can address this kind of a thing more. Uh, we want to be biblically accurate and we want to be New Testament established. And that's enough for now. I love you. God bless you. Let me pray over you and I'll see you soon. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in our life. We thank you for the uh, endless blessings of grace's work in us and through us and for us. I pray that you would lead us all into understanding. Let your word be rich in our heart and rich in our lives. Let us be strong in our spiritual way. Let us be founded upon spiritual foundations that we might manifest your heart to a broken world and see it healed by the power of the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, today. We bless your name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.